0: everybody, it's Marissa with Lions on Leashes. Today we're talking to Dr. Shay Butler. She is the CEO, the Chief Encouragement Officer, writer, blogger, and speaker who engaged in purpose positioning that helps audiences learn themselves, love themselves, and be themselves unapologetically. She has also worked in higher ed and diversity as the Vice President for Student Development at the College of St. Rose in Albany, New York. Dr. Shea will be releasing her inspirational memoir in later half of 2021, We Cannot Wait, I'm so excited, with an accompanying women's guide on living beneath the surface of life. Register on her website, drsheabutler.com, and you will be emailed about the release date. Blogs can be found on her website, and her professional articles can be found on higheredjobs.com. Dr. Shea is on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter, so we'll be linking to all of those in the episode description. We covered a lot of ground. We spoke about relationships and her podcast with her husband called The Power Couple Podcast, which you can also listen to on her website. And they take the term power couple and turn it into power of love. They say love is not an emotion, it's a decision. And we spoke about learning how to disagree. She said, It's not the Roman Colosseum. It's our living room. You don't have to fight to the death over, you know, things that are going on in your relationship. And she said there are three options in a marriage and especially, you know, when raising kids, when making a decision. And what she shared blew my mind. We were talking about pestering thoughts and overthinking and she shared a quote, birds will fly overhead, but they don't need to build a nest there. And I love that perspective, that Yes, thoughts are going to come, but they don't have to overrun you. And I loved, I loved that quote. It really stuck with me. I asked her a question. I asked her, what have you experienced in your life that unapologetically is a key theme in your life and message? And her answer was great. I really love talking to Dr. Shay. And with that said, let's get this episode started. So, Dr. Shea, you're a chief engagement officer who you've been helping people learn, love, and be themselves. You're working in higher education and student affairs and diversity for over 25 years. And you're obviously a writer and a speaker advisor. But what's your motivation behind your amazing success?
1: So first, uh, Marissa, thank you so much for the invitation to join you today. I I really appreciate taking this time uh, to talk to you. I love the title of your podcast, Lions with Leashes. I feel it's bold and it's so timely. So kudos to you on your innovation. So I guess I would say the motivation behind my success really comes from the culmination of of my experiences on this, this journey of life, right, that has shaped and launched me into this it's destiny that, that's still unfolding, you know? I wake up with excitement each day to see what's gonna happen in the universe and, and how can I play a role with it, either through my profession as a Vice President for Student Development or through my vocation as the Chief Encouragement Officer.
0: So is it like the motivation of like your upbringing or like, I wanna kinda hear your story of how you got to where you are?
1: Yeah. Yes, it was my upbringing. You know, I came from very humble beginnings, but I had this dichotomous experience that I really talk about um, in my book. So I would spend more than half the year, about nine months of the year with living with my mom in a very low-income neighborhood in the projects of Brooklyn, New York. And it was a rough neighborhood. I came up in the 80s during the time of You know, I call it the best of times and the worst of times because it was the dawning of the era of hip hop. And to be right in Brooklyn when that was happening was amazing. And getting to know so many artists who were my age, you know, we were teenagers coming up into this new, what would be a revolutionary form of music later. But it was also simultaneously with the crack epidemic that was also destroying and killing communities. So this was the swirling that was going on around me in my youth, and so living, living there, you know, trying to navigate the streets when I wasn't of the streets, sometimes you can be in something, but not of something. And that's, those were the messages my mother always drilled into me. This may be where we live, but this is not who we are. When you embrace a mentality that's unfortunately some people in the community embrace. A small percentage, but even a small percentage can wreak havoc, you know, for the other 95% of just good, hardworking, regular people that live there. And so I learned early on how to sort of kind of be low key and and that was hard because I'm not by nature a low key person as as we as we talk more you'll you'll learn and figure out probably um, or anyone who's ever seen me talk before pretty much knows so I had to learn how to cope in that environment but at the same time my father's side of the family had education and they had means and so I would I had this dichotomous experience of spending summers in Martha's Vineyard and and in a home that was owned by my family or in the Caribbean or, and so I grew up in my very early formative years, not fitting in any environment. I didn't fit amongst the uber wealthy and I didn't fit amongst the poor and low income. And so for a lot of my life, I've just been on this journey of trying to find out, who I was. And I know that that is the experience of so many people, particularly women, trying to fit, trying to find out where we belong. And I think that's why I embraced this title or came up with this title, Chief Encouragement Officer, is because I understand that struggle. And I understand the importance of beginning from this place of encouragement, but not ending there with people.
0: Like, I, I guess we can go into it. There's, you use that, you say that's the secret sauce mm-hmm. word. And you've said that the secret sauce is found in encouragement in the face of failure, adversity, and shame, mm-hmm. and encouraging yourself and others to be the very best and real you that you can be at work, school, home, or wherever life leads. Who in your life has also encouraged you? I know you said like your mother and things like that, but there's something, obviously, if that's like your mantra. Like, I want to mm-hmm. hear, mm-hmm. like, what about like from coming from your truest form about encouragement? If that's yeah,
1: possible. Yeah, yeah. From my truest forms, I would say it started with my mother and my family at a young age. And it's so important that those of us who are parents or aspiring parents, Um, know the importance of instilling at a young age in a child that they are great they are wonderful that they can be anything that they set their mind to and that so it while it started there and the seeds were planted there I would say it was watered all through my life by different people but I would say going back to those days when why I can't why I can't leave my mother out of the story is because in my youth you know I came up in this this One of the experiences that happened to me early in life that was traumatic for not just me, but for my family is I was pregnant at the age of 13, had a baby at 14. And so this created chaos, as you might imagine, in my family. But the two women who really rose up at that time uh, that I needed it most because we were at a, a turning point, right? It could have gone either way, you know, was my mother and my aunt. And if I were to describe myself like a WNBA team, I would say, My mother was the owner and my aunt was like my coach. (laughs) So, you know, both women, very impactful, but, you know, my aunt really encouraged me by mentoring me to greatness. And my mother really encouraged me by making sure that I never quit. You know, she taught me resilience because she was resilient. You know, Um, she was very conservative, very religious, but, and she took very few risks in life. But my aunt, on the other hand, was a risk taker and she always pushed push, push. You can do it. You know, you get out there and you make it work. So they taught me major lessons in life in the face of opposition. You know, my mother, who I said was very religious, said, you know what, pregnant and all, you're still going to church and you're going to hold your head up high. You're going to, you know, so she forced me into this this stance of fighting against adversity, against negativity, against the naysayers. And, and my aunt gave me a sense of adventure. And then throughout life, I've met amazing mentors, women and men who have sort of saw the potential in me and and encouraged, not only encouraged, they mentored, but they also sponsored. And we all know that there's a difference if you follow the literature and and popular culture and this new burgeoning understanding of the difference between mentorship and sponsorship. So they were individuals who didn't just tell me I could do it. They opened doors. And that is key, key in life. So... I would definitely say, uh, and, and then to this day, thinking about who is the most, the biggest champion, the biggest encourager, the biggest, per- and I would have to say that's my husband, that's my spouse. He really that he's my partner, and, and in and of all things, I mean, the position, my most recent position, fourteen years ago, he's the one that said. You know, I saw this job and it so amazingly sounds like you. And I really think you can do this. And then doing what most women do, I read the description and I was like, I, I, you know, I don't have all 15 of these bullets. I can't they wouldn't hire me. And he said, Well, they'll never hire you if you hire you if you never apply. So why don't you let them tell you no instead of you telling you no? And I was like, Okay, I'll apply. I did, and they hired me, and lo and behold, it's 14 years later. And, you know, I've moved up and I've done other amazing things that wouldn't have come if I wouldn't have taken that step. There's
0: so many things I want to, I want
1: to uncover from
0: that, but you know, it's, I find it, I've done a lot of evaluation on myself and self-awareness, especially having the idea for this podcast for like over a year and then finally taking the plunge, thinking about people wanting, who I wanted to talk to, who could also, the listeners can then really learn from. And it's crazy to think that if I wrote it down on a list, aside from like my mother and my grandmother and other, some other female mentors, like a, a mutual friend, uh, Carrie McGrath, who also works at mm-hmm. St. Rose. Yeah. Love her. <laughs> she's the best. A lot of my people who actually have encouraged me are men. Mm-hmm. If, yep. it, it's pretty yep. crazy that women are coming together, especially now around you know, cl- closing this confidence gap, right? or you know and, and encouragement with each other, the, the powers in the in the numbers. But throughout my life, it's like, oh, a lot of the people who have encouraged me, pushed me, challenged me in in different career ways are men. Yep. yeah, which I think is like
1: it's not dead. I guess no, exactly right. And you know, sometimes I think we we, we get into these two camps where and it, it, there's never shades of gray. It's always black. It's white. It's always you're either for me or against me. That's that's sort of the environment that we're in right now. And you can't be a feminist or a womanist if you talk to the contributions of men either through mentorship or sponsorship in your life. But I reject that. You know, I have a strong sense of self. I know my tribe, I, my tribe is women, I support women, I do everything I can to advance women. And I bring along the men who are all about advancing women. And I, I'm grateful for, for the fact that they're allies in this struggle because they understand the equity gaps and they're committed to closing them. And so I would say to any any person, don't reject the person who is not of your tribe. If they are about what you're about, and they're good people, and they're willing to help open some doors for you, walk through those doors every time.
0: So I want to talk about your podcast with your husband. I love your (laughs) chemistry. I absolutely love it. And I'm totally about to pivot. But- even this morning, I was listening to the uh, your episode about financials mm. and everything like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you guys have amazing chemistry. So one of the things, though, that as, you know, growing up, I turned 30 this year. We bought a house two years ago, you know, right after we got married and mm. and things like that. And then going through just like work changes and, you know, identity through your job and, and whatnot. But I love the chemistry that you two have. And I know you've been together for, what was it,
1: 13 years, you said? Well, probably when we started the podcast. We, we just celebrated our 15th uh, wedding anniversary oh. on Valentine's Day. Yep. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you.
0: So it's like, okay, they have such a strong foundation t- to highly successful people that are clearly supporting each other of their milestones. But you're, you guys also are very vulnerable. And we were like, hey, like we're still figuring things out, too. Oh, yeah. You know, it makes me feel better that like, hey, like there is no answer to every, like you don't just like keep hitting these check, like, oh, figured it out. Check like finances. <laughs> we figured that one out. You check it off, <laughs> you know, because it's ever evolving. It's What's ever evolving. But I want to just like talk about the podcast. I want to talk about like your chemistry and how you guys figure out conflicts and very big things that actually can destroy relationships. You guys have this like rhythm. I'm like, yeah, I feel like I'm sitting with you.
1: (laughs) Well, it's so funny. So the, the, podcast is the power couple podcast and it's a play on the word power because you know people used to always tell us first when i got my doctorate and then my husband got his doctorate and they used to always say oh you guys are such a power couple and really okay like because you know <laughs> like that's not what we were aspiring for we weren't you know we just love to learn and we knew how getting these degrees would help us um, position ourselves to move up in our careers and and so it wasn't about power for the sake of power, but it was about explaining to individuals. So we took that term and we, and we took it through a different lens. We turned it inside out and we focused on the power of love and, and what the power of love can do to individuals who are just vulnerable, who are trying to figure it out, who are committed, who have decided. We talk about that a lot in different episodes that love is not an emotion, love is a decision. And you got to wake up every day saying, today, I'm going to decide to love no matter what comes, no matter what comes at me, no matter what comes. um, And, and, you know, we're not that intentional about it. We don't wake up every day. But in those moments, those crucial moments when, uh uh-oh, you know, the bank account is overdrawn, I'm in trouble. uh, (laughs) Whoever's, you know, in that day-to-day, okay, then there's a decision he has to make. Okay, I'm going to have to decide how I how I approach this with her and how we're going to talk about this. And and we that was a journey for us. We had to learn how to disagree. We had to learn how to argue. We had to learn to not go for the jugular. This wasn't you know, the Roman Colosseum. This was our living room, and we were not to be gladiators um, fighting to the death over an overdrawn bank account. We are to sit down, figure it out, have a conversation, figure what's behind it, because there's always something behind it that if you keep asking questions, keep asking, keep digging, keep digging. And if you can't in the moment, because emotions are too high, then you, you go to your respective corners and you just try to turn in. You try to think about, take the anger off yourself, or off your spouse, or your partner, and think about have some empathy, and think about where you where you have, may have messed up in this marriage or in this relationship, and about how you would have wanted to be treated and talked to in that moment, and 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 think really think that through, and then come back and try to have the conversation when when things have settled, and 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 we've had to figure that out. We didn't come into this marriage knowing how to disagree. We came in with chemistry. The, in, in in some areas of our lives and then we had to build we had to build on that but you know I talk about it in one of our first episodes when I talk about how we met uh, we drove to Syracuse where it was a two-hour drive there a two-hour drive back that he offered to to take me because we'd stayed up late at night of Wine and movies and 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 I had a funeral the next morning and he didn't know that I had and he said oh my god I kept you up so late i feel awful if something happened to you let me drive you there I'll sleep in the car while you go to the funeral and then drive you back and I looked and I was like are you serious you would do that like we're like all right and uh, he did we talked all the way to Syracuse we talked all the way back and we've been talking ever since. And 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 it's so it's communication. It, whatever you see, whatever you heard in terms of chemistry, started from our ability to, to to talk to one another and listen to one another. And 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 some couples may have to. That's the thing they have to learn, you know, is how to bring friendship into the marriage and and deepen that friendship and then form communication.
0: Because you're on the same team. That's what people forget. You're on the same team. You're not, you know, how do we come and get the, and do this together? You know? And it, I, that's something I have to in the moment breathe to remember as angry as you want to feel heard. And, you know, you start going, <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, it's really, when you really center yourself and take yourself out of the situation, I have to remember like it's, we're on the same
1: team. Well, you're funny because my husband used to say that he used to, Go right there, like you're trying to destroy me, and and I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, but he would really, literally be thinking, you're. Tr- I'm trying to to like write this financial ship in the family because I was the irresponsible one, you know, uh, in terms of finances. You know, that was one area he had it together, and that was one area I did not. And there are other areas in our marriage where I have it together, and other areas where he does not. But he would personalize every financial flaw as me working against him, working against the family and not embracing the goals. And mm, no, I just didn't reconcile or no, I, you know, it wasn't a cute pair of boots. It was steak. And I didn't realize. (laughs) that. So, yeah, absolutely. Like with, with like you said,
0: like you, the, the paycheck to paycheck thing, like even when you had money, there was still that old behavior that you had to unlearn, which I loved when we're just learning as couples to adapt with people with different backgrounds or grew up differently. Mm-hmm. It's like when I'm asking my husband to, to do a different behavior like that, right? Mm-hmm. I'm essentially asking him to paint a picture of something he's never seen
1: because
0: mm-hmm. he never grew up that way. That's right. Powerful. And vice versa. Yep. So it's really just like, Hey, how do we do it together or build it together? So we're actually painting that picture together and go, Oh, look what we created.
1: Yes. That's powerful. Yes. That's exactly right. It's very much
0: easier said than done, but don't leave the sneakers next to the couch or I'm going to lose my mind
1: <laughs> because he's trying to destroy your living room. Right. It's destroy like destroy me,
0: <laughs> not let me, all the all the hours I put into Home Goods and picking out those beautiful pillows and I laid them perfect. <laughs> it's a canvas on the couch. That Geico commercial, I think it is when it's like becoming your parents and the last scene is like you have too many. I don't know if you saw that commercial, but it's oh
1: oh yeah. And yeah. He's like,
0: you can't sit and he's like <laughs> taking all the pillows off the couch and he. My husband just looks at me. He's like, hmm. I go
1: well. Then it's not just me. It's clearly something. <laughs> Well, then how much of that is retraining him or how much of that is retraining yourself to walk over those sneakers? Um, yeah, you know, it's really it's a matter of who, who really has the issue, who really has to learn here is is someone walking in the door right this minute. That's going to really think that, you know, Marissa does not have her act together because look at those Nikes right next to her, you know, I'm
0: out of place. <laughs> but then You know what I started realizing, too, is like, hey, it bothers me. It's not hurting anybody. But, so I just move them. If it there bothers me so much, I just yep.
1: there move you go. myself, actually. There you go. You know? You
0: go.
1: I, tell, I And in that, you've just, thank you. You've just affirmed what I've always said. And, and my, it took my husband like halfway into our marriage to really embrace this saying of mine. I said, there are just three solutions to any problem that we're going to face in life or in this marriage. I certainly have realized that raising children, either you're going to do it, you're gonna pay someone to do it or you're gonna accept the fact that it's not gonna get done. And those are hard facts and hard truths, but if my kid is struggling in chemistry, I'm either going to learn chemistry myself and sit alongside him or her (laughs) and tell them how to do it, I'm gonna hire a tutor, or I am going to understand that I'm gonna do neither of those things and it's not gonna get done and then I need to be able to face that fact and live with that understanding. But no decision is a decision, right? You not touching those sneakers is a decision. You not telling him to move those sneakers is a decision. You decided to do nothing. And that was a decision, right? So no decision is a decision. And sometimes no decision is keeps peace in your home.
0: <laughs> That's so fun. I, I never thought of it that way. That's so interesting. <laughs> I guess yeah, I guess saying I'm gonna leave it be is a decision. Let's go into the word around being unapologetic. So your your mantra on your website, the first tagline is purpose positioning that helps you learn yourself, love yourself, and be yourself unapologetically. And I know you went into your life a little bit, but the question mm-hmm. that I have is what have you experienced in your life that unap unapologetically <laughs> is a key theme in your life in the message. Like you really accentuate that word.
1: Uh, Failure, repeated failure time and time again, and, and the decision to learn or not learn from those failures. So choices and, and the culmination of choices that I was making, not because choices I was making for other people. So I I would describe myself this way. I have been told and I have experienced the fact that I'm sort of this empath, I'm empathic. I can sort of read, come into a room and read a room. I can come into, uh, meet a person and kind of understand what's happening in that person. So sometimes if that person's in pain, I can feel it. That person is, is joyous inside, but pan poker face, I can feel it. And so sometimes I would, having this ability is a, both a blessing and it's a curse. So sometimes you can go into a room and kind of immediately shift based on the vibe of the room and know how to comport yourself. And that maybe can help you advance in, at work. But it is also, it's a heaviness. Like, you know, it is sometimes overwhelming to have all of that sort of coming at you because you're constantly contorting yourself to fit another person or to fit a room or to fit an environment. So young, very young in life, having this ability I would alter who I was to fit in with a group or to fit into, or to, to have my family love me the way they needed to love me based on the way they needed to see me and not how I was able to sort of be in a very authentic and real way. So it was very hard for me in those, you know, up until I talk about this in my book. Up until the age of 31, you know, I really spent life trying to to fit into other people's perceptions of how I should be. Again, through a series of failures, each and every time I didn't show up as my authentic self. And I tried to carry this burden of being who my friends needed me to be, my family needed me to be, my work environment needed me to be, but I wasn't being me. You're going to do that for so long before you hit a wall. And so when I talk about being authentic and when I talk about being unapologetic, I think it's important to understand and to clarify that unapologetic does not mean I go do life trampling on people to live my full self out loud. That, that is not uh, what it means. What it does mean is that I no longer have to hide the light that I have learned to love. And that's why I say it's purpose positioning that helps us learn ourselves, love ourselves, to be ourselves unapologetically. So it's about learning to love the me that is there enough that I can just be. You know, we we talk about, it's a play on it. We're human beings. Well, how, how, you know, so many times we're human doing, but we're not humans being. And it's hard to be. So I do because I can't be. Because being means I have to sort of sit quietly with myself and figure out who I am and figure out why I am and figure out all these things that are hard, very difficult emotional things that you have to put in the work to do. So it's easier for me to go about just being busy all the time, doing, 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 doing. So, you know, that's that distraction. But when I look at it, sequence from learning, loving, being, if I can just take this aspect of learning who I am begin to love that person, love that is all good in that person, and even love that what love those things that need work in that person. Embrace the fact that I'm not perfect, and that's okay. That is completely okay. Then I can begin to be my authentic self and live an unapologetic life. And I don't have to show up as Wonder Woman, and I don't have to show up to please everyone, but I can show up unapologetically. I'm a, I'm a total
0: people pleaser. I have been my whole life. I've been a closet people pleaser. No. Yeah. Oh my God. Even the smallest things of like, oh my God, you know, I can't, I, I just don't want to go. I told them I didn't want to go. And now they're like, oh yeah, it's okay. But it's just killing me that I'm like, I just want to rest today. And I don't yeah. want, I want to, you know, and things like that. Yeah. And I'm hitting a mental block and I would just, the whole time I was home relaxing, I would eat myself alive. Over like, oh my God, I feel so guilty. I, sh- I should have just went, but I really don't want to go. Or even really, really binker things. But this year actually was an aha moment for me. Where it's like, if you're not hurting anybody and maybe someone doesn't like something that you're doing, that's not your problem anymore.
1: Right. It's not. It's not. You know, it's the difference between, between what learning and what am I responsible to versus what I'm responsible for. I'm responsible to show up and be your good friend over the series of our relationship and friendship together. And that's not based on one moment on one decision. It's taking the relationship and the friendship in its totality. I'm responsible to do that. That's, That's my commitment to being your friend. What I'm not responsible for is your feelings when I make a decision to take a mental health day and to stay at home. And and you would have preferred me to make a different decision. No, I'm not talking about missing your wedding, obviously, but I'm talking about, you know, you've got this thing to do and and, and you've got this extra ticket and you really want me to go. You know, I'm talking about things like that. Right, right. Things like that. I'm not responsible for your negative feeling about my choice and my decision. And I'm also gonna release thinking and caring too much about that because I understand and reflect on the totality of the relationship that i've been there for you and you've been there for me and part of what makes this friendship so great is that we extend grace to one another so if i'm saying i need grace today you know and if you're a person who can't understand that that in the totality of our relationship where we've been there for friendship where we've been there for each other if you can't give grace when i need grace then maybe what I should be reflecting on at home is not guilt because I'm not there, but is this really a good relationship for me? Right. For me? So it changes the thinking and start to take stock and in inventory of of our lives in that way. And then eventually, you know, I, I didn't start releasing some of this stuff. I'll be honest, Marissa, until like 40. And then people said, oh, wait till you turn 50, girl. And I did. I turned 50 and it was like, whew, you know, like, think I care about anything anymore you know <laughs> I can say what I want when I want it and it's all cut. You know? but, and so I now I'm like I can't wait for 60 like every decade it's like I get freer and freer and freer
0: <laughs> I, it was very uncomfortable for me in the beginning and it was baby steps so it was like okay you know not feeling guilty or trying to people please how they feel about me when I make a decision Mm -hmm. and it happened again, I'm like, okay, that got a little easier than this. And then now it's becoming more, because I know my limitations is, I'm not just saying no to everything, but I'm creating boundaries for myself
1: in all aspects
0: of my life. And that's, what's helping it make it very repetitioned in decision-making, if that makes sense. Like it's easy for me to, to do this over and over again within boundaries.
1: Yes. Yes. Very, so important. So, so important.
0: So when I turn 40, I'm
1: not going to care about it. Thing, you, but you, you you're going to care less about that. You're going to be like, well, girl, I'm sorry. I'll see you next Wednesday. The amount of yeah. energy
0: it takes even from a work <laughs> perspective, like, Oh my God, I did this thing. Or I think I sent this email or whatever the case may be. It would used to eat me alive. Cause I was trying to people please to be the best worker you've ever seen in your life. And now with more responsibilities in my life, I'm like, I don't have that energy. My soul will get sucked out of my body if I do that for every aspect of my
1: life. It will. and But it's also, Marissa, knowing that some people realize that, people who may be empathic, realize that about individuals and sometimes they play on that to their benefit. Um, and it's not about going into, into relationships with colleagues thinking the worst of them, but it's about trying to paint a realistic understanding of your environment. And understanding that sometimes some people knowing that can manipulate and, be, and that's where that sort of that passive aggressive work behavior comes in. If they know you're a people pleaser, you know, no one's going to come out and say, well, you know what, that next, you're not going to be put on that big project next time because you said no, but they'll do little passive aggressive things to make you say, oh man, I got to do this. You know, I got to give up another Saturday again, because I want to be put on that, that, that project next time. And so it's, it's about the boundary setting piece. It's about sort of knowing your limits, like you said, and it's about trying to bring balance into your life in very real and meaningful ways. And it's about not letting those individuals live inside your head. There was a saying, Oh God, I heard it years ago. And it it was about, you know, the thoughts that come into our head. And it says, you know, you can't stop birds from flying over your head but you can stop them from building a nest there. And I was like, wow, that is so rich. So the thoughts are going to come. They're going to fly over and they're going to fly over. and But, you know, they don't need the nest in my head. So it's it's sort of the bird thing for me. You know, when I find that uh, I'm nesting and festering these thoughts and, and, and concern about a choice I've made or a decision I've made, I've got to like shake my hair and like, you know, get all those twigs out and say, no. You know, and, and I have to be very intentional about that. It, it really does. Sometimes I have to literally go through a physical manifestation of nope, you know, shaking it out, shaking it off, you know, and then I go get busy doing something else because I could live in that space and I'm not, um, I'm, I'm not, I refuse to anymore. I'm not living in that space anymore.
0: I know you mentioned a little bit, but I want to talk about the
1: book. It'll be out this year. You know, how I, how soon I'm, ha- um, I'm halfway through through. And uh, I've actually hired this amazing book coach who's helped keeping keeping me pacing on track to, to have the book completed by certainly by early summer. We'll get it out there to the masses sometime in the second half of, of the year. So I'm really excited about the book. Part memoir, part inspiration for any and all women really sort of seeking to be free from the shame of their past. I think Certainly for me, and, and, you know, Brene Brown talks about shame a lot, and I really, I really love her, her work. And um, I think that in order to pursue our purpose, to find our purpose, our purposes, because I I, I often talk about this aspect of purpose, and, you know, we're not just put on this planet to do one thing. So when people say, I want to find my purpose, and the book talks a little bit about this, you really mean your purposes because at different phases of my life and my career, I could see how I was purposed to do that at that moment and now move into a different phase of life. I'm purposed to do this at that moment. So you can't think that a creator would be so unwise to give us so many years on a planet and only one thing to do. I the book really talks about that. It's talk it talks about readiness. you know I talk about moving from, pep talks to prep talks, right? So uh, on my website. So, you know, the encouragement is the is the pep talk, you know, doing and saying and positioning women to not only t- to begin this journey of self-awareness, self-discovery, this versioning of self-love, but toward what end? To be able to pursue those many purposes at those different phases of our life. Really, the first book is about introducing myself to this audience of what i hope will be millions, (laughs) to tell a story. And there are so many, there are a lot of lessons within each story. If you've heard the podcast, you know, I'm, I'm a person, I put it out there, you know? (laughs) And so in a book I'm putting out there, a lot of things that I think women or people would find hard to talk about tragedies of life, traumas of life, good things of life. I'm, I'm on a chapter now of talking about my, my marriage and how I met and married my husband and some of those things. And but I, 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 the first I'll tell you this, you know, not a spoiler alert, but the first chapter is called a hot mess. So if that doesn't tell you that I am so committed to being transparent, to be able to help other women who can't be, who can't be transparent, but need to know how to get out of this prison that they've created for themselves. So if I could say this book is meant to do one thing, it's to help us get free, to help us get free so that we can walk into our many purposes in life. Does it have a title? It has several. So therefore, I'm not going to tell you (laughs) because I'm going to have to focus group that when we get down to to that. Um, but I tell you, if you go to my um, website and sign up on the, on the mailing list on my website, I can assure you that you will be the first. I will announce the title there. And so when it's ready to launch, my subscribers will be the first to know. Ooh,
0: okay, so exciting. Can't wait, can't wait. So Dr. Shea, coming to the end, we ask the same question for everyone who comes on the podcast. And that is, What is one thing that you've experienced that everyone should go through?
1: A full meltdown. Everyone who has ever, so I was raised that that strong women don't cry in public. Um, And I watched my mother bury her mother, her father, and both of her brothers without shedding a tear at at a funeral. I heard her crying in a room at night but I never ever saw her cry in public, so i did so I interpreted it that as strong women go through traumatic experiences and they don't cry, and they certainly don't make public displays of of emotion and that belief was keeping me sick for a long time because it became very difficult for me to express emotion, particularly sadness and then one day um in a therapy session, you know, my counselor said, I want you to write a letter to your dead mother, whatever you want to say to her. And I said, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? If I do that, I'll cry. And she said, and then what? And then you'll stop. And then you'll live and you'll feel better. And so I wrote that letter and I, I cried so hard, I was hyperventilating. I could not, and that was a big fear of mine. I'm like, if I cry, I won't, I won't know how to stop. There's so much I'll be crying for, other than the loss of my mother, and the loss of my mother was the biggest loss of my life. And, and so I did, and um, I think that that long overdue cry was the beginning of the turnaround. So I guess doing that hard and difficult thing that you think that you can't do, that you won't do, whether it's crying, letting go emotionally, letting yourself feel to the fullest, whatever that thing is that you think you can't do, it's holding you back. It is completely holding you back from sorry. So I guess my advice would be figure it out, do it, and then put that boogeyman away forever.
0: So Dr. Shea will be releasing her inspirational memoir later this year. Um, and it's a company's women's guide on living beneath the surface of life, going deeper intentionally and unapologetic register. Like she mentioned on the website at drsheabutler.com and you will be on the emailing list and you will find out the release date and title before anybody else. And then for blogs that can be found on her website for drsheabutler.com, and her professional articles can be found on higheredjobs.com because you have a whole career of higher education <laughs> that we did that we did not get into. But Dr. Shea, you are so real and wise and honest, and you definitely make me feel that it's really okay to be your truest self and you've shared that It not just today but in your podcasts and in your blogs I've seen you speak before so you really bring peace to people who sometimes second-guess themselves and you just bring such light to that and thank you so much for being here you are officially a lady with lions welcome to the community we are so happy to have you
1: it's an honor to be there thank you